0: had a long history of asthma. I knew her, I would seen her multiple times. Um, she comes in, and they, oh, sweet. Okay, so they bring her in from triage in a wheelchair, because um, she's in respiratory distress. And as I'm going to help her from the wheelchair to the gurney, she's shaking her head yes to a question I just asked her, and then she completely passes out, unconscious. Um, so that's her, and the other one I saw here in bed. Because it's my most favorite bed in the emergency department. I never have patients go down the tubes in bed five. Um, she's a 65 year old lady uh, who doesn't speak a lick of English <laughs> other than the sentence, don't let me die, which she's grabbing my hands, she's pouring sweat, and she's tripoding forward, screaming at me, please don't let me die. And that's all she says. And she, it takes a long time to get that out. It's like one word every breath. Okay. So now these two, what are you guys thinking for these two patients? Anybody? Shahina. Okay, so you're, the nurses are hooking them up to the monitors. Okay, you can get an ABG on them. The unconscious lady, I'm going to say you probably would go right ahead to securing her airway even before you get an ABG. The other lady, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Seip is already well down the tracks on the, um, for intubation. She's already intubated, I think she has a more. All right, so these two, this is severe asthma, so now we're thinking of getting, we're thinking of intubating these patients, and we're doing labs, and we're getting chest X-rays, and we're doing all the stuff that we didn't necessarily have to do for the mild patient that we saw earlier, right? Okay. So, Dr. Sipes, since I know how much you enjoy intubating patients in the emergency department, what are some of the things that you have to consider when you're going to intubate an asthmatic?
1: Um, keeping a, uh, I guess, low or high ITE ratio, so an ample expiratory time okay. to inspiratory time to avoid breath stacking.
0: And what kind of ratio are you going to give them? Like IDE? 4. Okay. One to three, one to four, excellent, good. The point of that is, so prolonged expiration and asthmatic, so you want to give them enough time to blow off their CO2 um, because we don't want them to have air trapping, right? Okay, what are some other things you want to consider?
1: So in doing that, you're going to need to have, excuse me, high flow, um, a low respiratory rate, Um, and then uh, you're going to have, I would just, Start them on 100% FiO2 and titrate mm-hmm. for their uh, ABG, mm-hmm. considering whether it's more of an obstructive thing and their hypercapnic, or whether they're. <laughs> it's what hyper- if they're
0: hypercapnic? Are you going to correct it? Are you going to increase the rate to fix their their? Uh,
1: no, you're going to have to. I mean, there you can be a little bit permissive on it, um, and you can. Good. Yeah, you can uh, let that kind of come down over time because that's not. You know, it's not going to be rapidly fatal. It might make them stop breathing, but then they're already intubated, so it doesn't
0: matter. So there's a term that you hear called permissive hypercapnia. When you intubate asthmatics, that's one of the principles that you can use to guide your vent settings, is you allow their CO2 to be a little higher um, in an effort to try to keep down their pressures and give them enough, um, yeah, and um, allow them a longer IDE ratio. Good. Um, What did you use to intubate your patients?
1: and this in this 35-year-old patient, mm-hmm. I'd give her ketamine to induce. Okay. Um, and just use ketamine and succinylcholine. Okay.
0: Um, Good. Good choices.
1: And the uh, 65-year-old, um, I would probably just use atomidate and either, I don't, does she have a dialysis fistula or anything, mm-hmm. um, I'd probably just give her atomidate and succinylcholine.
0: Okay. Good. Good. I, there's a lot of different medications. There's not a right answer to that question. You'll hear ketamine used in asthmatics. Uh, it's a good choice with succinylcholine. In the in the 65-year-old lady, you can consider. Um, so you know we're two different asthmatics here, both extreme, both getting intubated. In the lady who's 65, you might consider more workup going down, like you know cardiac routes and EKGs and that kind of stuff. You nobody would fault you for that as well. All right. Good. Good. I to make a comment.
2: Uh-huh. So um, I think that everybody. Should start to get in the habit, first, when you start talking about um, intubation, that the first words out of your mouth should be that you're going to assess the patient for a difficult airway. Um, Okay. uh, Virtually every hospital in this county, people have died because somebody went ahead and they paralyzed the patient and it turned out they had difficult airway. So uh, just to program yourself right from this point on, Know, all the drugs are right. The need for intubation is correct. But just put at the very beginning, assess for difficult airway. Uh, the difficult airway course uh, that Brown Walls teaches out of Harvard, they just beat that into your head. And I just think it's worthwhile to mention before you even ever consider using those drugs. You simply make that statement.
0: Okay, thank you for that comment. I appreciate that. Um, So this is just, like I said, not a lecture about asthma. We're just kind of priming ourselves for some questions that um, we'll do in a minute um, related to your pulmonary month. So this is right out of Tintinelli. I know um, you guys have multiple textbooks that you have available, but um, Tintinelli is what I grew up with, so that tends to be where I go first. But these are just some risk factors. Um, for death from asthma. And a lot of questions are going to be right off this list. So these are the types of things that are going to alert you to the fact that you need to be more scared of this patient than your you know, mild, asthmatic 23-year-old that's back in room 33. If, if she has some of these things in her history, you need to be a little bit more concerned, okay? So obviously, some of these are pretty obvious. Past history of sudden and severe exacerbations. We need to ask that in our HPI. Prior intubations, prior ICU admits. Um, More than two hospitalizations in a year. If she's been to the ED in the last month or if she's had an admission in the last month, you need to be concerned. If the patient uses more than two canisters of her albuterol in a given month. If she is on steroids or has recently been on steroids. if there's difficulty perceiving airflow obstruction or the severity of the attack, kind of goes back to to the first one here. Patients who have multiple comorbidities, psychiatric illness, low socioeconomic status, and illicit drug use are all associated with increased risk. Okay. This is just your list of medications that you're going to go through when you're thinking about treating your asthmatics. Um, I think. The first two, the first three, we definitely use those all the time, every day in the emergency department. Um, some of them get bad enough, we start giving epi or terbutylene. Um, I, don't, I have actually never given theophylline myself. I've seen a couple patients who are still on it, but not something that I routinely use in my algorithm. Magnesium I do give. Um, Heliox. Yeah. How much
1: magnesium do you give in
0: I start two and it's over 30 minutes is the infusion rate. Um, I suppose you could probably go up on that, but I think that's a good starting point. Um, I've never ordered Heliox here. I think the studies nowadays, I'm not even sure if they've really proven that it helps. I don't know if any of the other attendings here have actually used it or if it's even available to us. Yeah, We had it in Chicago and I can't say that it made a whole lot of a difference in, in our management. Um, And then we talked about ketamine, especially if I'm intubating someone, I'm considering using ketamine for my intubation. These are some of the things you need to watch out for with mechanical ventilation. I hate intubating asthmatics. They're just, you put them on a vent and you're just constantly at the bedside. The alarms are going off, their peak pressures are high, their plateau pressures are high. It's hard. I try to avoid getting to that point because of all of these complications. we talked about permissive hypercapnia, or letting them hypoventilate slightly so that you can avoid those increased pressures. Um, barotrauma, you can, the pressures can get so high you can actually start causing pneumothorax, and then air trapping. Um, so let's, with that little introduction, let's do some questions. Okay, let's have one of our interns read question one. we have any volunteers?
3: Of asthma since childhood presents the emergency department for treatment of asthma exacerbation. He has an initial PFR of less than 50% predicted, 91% on room air. Received albuterol, dipotropium, test three doses, and oral steroids. Are we exam patient has a few scattered wheezes with good air movement, 96% on room air, and a BFR of 65% predicted. Patients discharged with includes short first oral steroids, continue self-administration of beta-2 agonists and anticholinergic medications by MDI and, and close follow-up with this primary one. Which of the following additional historical elements make it more appropriate to admit this patient uh, to the hospital instead of discharging him home? Uh, Show the choices. Or? Sure,
0: okay. mm, please. Uh, choice A: uh, Patient has
3: past history or uh, past history. A sudden severe exacerbations. B. The patient smokes tobacco. C. The patient reports use of a non tapering burst course of steroids three months ago. And D. The patient uses one canister of albuterol from per What
0: do you think the answer is there?
3: That was C. That steroid use predicts like future bad outcome.
0: Okay. So. Current steroid use or recent withdrawal? So I guess in this question, the, the question is, is, it, is three months ago recent enough to be concerned? Um, so when I first looked at this question, it was a consideration, but there's one answer that's better. A, A is the answer. And this is right off that list from Tintinale. Um A past history of sudden severe exacerbations should alert you to the fact that these patients may need to be admitted to be observed um, because they can be at an increased risk of death from asthma, okay? The other ones, uh, this one is two canisters of abuterol per month would be a concern. And illicit drug use, not necessarily tobacco, is a concern, okay? So a whole lot of question for, in the end, there's a whole lot of background there for really just that list and Tintin Alley would have given you the answer. Alright. Okay, how about one on the second years? Second years sure. going once. A year old
2: 80 kilogram man who presents the ED with an acute asthma exacerbation is not responding to your therapy. You decide to treat it with epinephrine. The appropriate dose is. Well, it's going to be 1 to 1,000, so good rid of all those other ones. And it's going to be, I guess we'll go C 1 to 1,000, 0.2 milliliters, 1 to 1,000 1 1, sub
0: Very good. Fire, Dr. McCoy is very excited. Yes, C is the correct choice. Very good. And you can give that every 20 to 30 minutes for three doses, okay? All right. Um, Kenneth, why don't you take this next one?
2: Which of the following is the risk factor for death in patients with asthma? A usage of more than two canisters of albuterol per month, A. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay, so, this is where we talk about test-taking practices, okay, so, when, (laughs) so, (laughs) very good, so, um, I was just talking to Shannon Tui the other day about this, because we were in the ED and we had worked a bunch of shifts in a row, and I had watched her present the same patient to multiple attendings and watched her get, like, different answers every time she presented the case. And I looked at her and I'm like, don't get frustrated. <laughs> it's not your attendings doing it on purpose. There's just, there's a lot of different ways to approach patients. So, what's that? So, when we're in the department, I feel like there's a lot of gray areas. But unfortunately, on these tests, there are no gray areas. It's either, it's very black and white. So there is a right answer and a wrong answer, whether you want to believe it or not. A is an excellent choice. Unfortunately, so is B, C, and D, which makes E the right answer, okay? So, make sure you read the whole question. All right, because I think if you had, you would have gotten the answer, which is E. These are all risk factors. I did want to point out D. Apparently, we are playing our part in the severe asthmatic because... The underappreciation of the severity of an exacerbation by the ED physician is a risk factor. So what are some of the things that we can do to try to help give us concrete evidence that these patients are doing better? Peak flows, what are we looking for? What are the numbers? So it's actually given as a percentage. So if our patients know their best, which I doubt. Given our patient population, um, you can. There is charts, and I actually brought one. My husband has a peak expiratory flow meter. Um, there's, you know, you can go on and get typical values based on age, gender, whatever. And so you are looking for a percentage. If it's over seventy percent of the predicted, they are doing quite well. Okay. If it's fifty to seventy, they are still having a moderate exacerbation. But those patients without one of our Terrible risk factors can most likely be managed as an outpatient. If it's less than 50%, your work is not done. The patient either needs to continue therapy in the emergency department to try to improve or it needs to be admitted. Yeah? yeah so, two things about the peak flow. I love it. But, so, if the chart that um, Dr. Shamani was talking about is normally coming in the package with the new peak flow thing, so if you look into the box, it'll be there. And um, another thing is to use that 50%, 70% improvement, you
2: need to make sure the patient do it correctly. Because otherwise, if, you, if they just sit down and like do it, like kind of like, you know, blowing it out, then that doesn't count. And you will not get a better number
0: of that. So make sure they do it correctly before you treat. Yeah, it does take some effort on the patient's part, so you need a cooperative patient to do it. But um, it's something that I think we underutilize, and I would like to see us use it a little bit more. A potential for a research study there, a- asthma action plans, if anyone wants to bite on that. Uh, okay, we haven't picked on any of the third years yet, right? I have a quick question about mm-hmm. the last
2: thing with that. Sure. Why,
1: why is it sub-Q, not IM?
0: Um, I think sub-Q is actually, like, I've heard that you're supposed to inject it in the thigh because the absorption is better and faster. IM, it's IM, uh, is the preferred route, yeah, those all the lists there said Sub-Q. Q, you'll
1: see still listed. So if you're given that show you sub-Q on mm-hmm. AMs. Okay, but. Yeah. That, got versus that. is Versus
0: IV is kind of what that question was delineating. So, yes, I've actually heard IM in the thigh is the fastest absorption versus, like, sub-Q in the stomach or something like that. So, you are actually you correct. Read,
4: it'll, it'll say sub-Q, but you guys know yeah. Um, that's why. it's actually, I think in
0: the latest,
4: uh, no, I don't think it's, I don't know, you'll see a lot um, so of, that. So Q and all the picks, mm-hmm. which you guys
0: probably already and, Yeah, all the practice questions that I saw in the like four or five books that I went through, IM is never an option. It's always, the questions are always differentiating sub Q from IV. I think that's actually an excellent point for the
1: test to keep in mind that these test questions, after you tested, make sure they're right, they're about five years old. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be new advances. So sub Q is probably your better choice mm-hmm. for the test. No. With it being said about well, what's better, medically speaking, but the test things, some, some few.
0: Okay, let's have one of the third years do this one. Pam, do you want to give it a whirl? Uh, a 24-year-old male presents the ED with asthma exacerbated when you factored out
3: treatment. You can stop intubating your symptoms when the patient's waiting for a fighting event. You realize the drugs you use for RSI are wearing off. Your best for of course of action is two. <laughs> <laughs>
0: See? Okay.
3: Because I would like the patient to be doing optimal
0: ventilation with a, the ventilator. Okay. Is is reinducing him with ketamine the best way to go about that? I guess not.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Any other guesses? Anybody? B. Okay. Good. Good. I like choice B as well. That's the correct answer. Um, so the idea here is that you do want the patient to breathe with the vent, and you the easiest way to accomplish that is by sedating them enough that they're comfortable and out of it enough to let the vent do its work. You don't want to – I think some of us tend to jump to, well, just paralyze them. Well, that's not the right answer. The best choice is to sedate them first. If that doesn't work, then you can consider paralyzing them again, but not the best choice. What was the C? You just can't read.
1: I think the other so part, the key part is it's a, it's, it says, yeah, you realize that the drugs are wearing off, so that's like what the key, the clue in the question is. It's like, oh, you need to do something long-acting, and that's the only one that has a drip.
0: Yes, so, so. they're saying, exactly, so they're looking for, you know, your RSI drugs are gone, now you need to look at getting this patient sedated on a more prolonged course, and so by just reintroducing them with ketamine, you're going to be back here in the same place in 20 minutes, so it's not the best answer. Good. Oh, uh, if you just paralyze them as well, it also increases the risk of aspiration pneumonia. So that's another reason why it's not the best choice. Okay, Um, Matt, you want to take the next one? Sure.
3: Which of the
2: following is the best adjunct to the physical examination in assessing the severity of an asthma attack?
3: ABG, P, S, O, V, H, S, S, -S 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 R.
2: Best adjunct. I like ABG. I like peak
0: flow. I'm gonna go peak flow. Good. Okay. Any? So peak expiratory flow rate is the right answer here. FEV1 is also something that you can use, but it's easier to get this. So part of you know our job in the emergency department, we have got to use what we can quickly get, and and peak expiratory flow rate is easy for us. Um, ABG, if they're Hypoxic, despite your supplemental oxygen, then certainly an ABG is something. If there's another part of the story that makes you concerned for something other than just a straightforward asthma exacerbation going on, chest x-ray is certainly possible. Um, Continuous cardiac monitoring in patients that you might be worried about cardiac sources or something is certainly reasonable, but based on the stem of the question, the correct answer, the best choice is B. What's up?
4: Just really quick, because most of us have like
2: Hippocrates on our mm-hmm. phone, there is a peak flow calculator on in Hippocrates. Yeah. So if you access that, you can get the value.
0: Good. Okay. Thank you for that.
2: Or, you can get iPad. or iPad, sorry. Yes. <laughs>
0: now that you all have these <laughs> fancy new toys that I don't have. Yes. All right. <laughs> all right, Austin, why don't you try this one?
1: Thirty-five minutes after a 30-year-old female presents CD with severe asthma exacerbation you intubator to use ketamine and succinylcholine, a colleague who is assisting you aggressively bags the patient until the asteroid therapist connects the vent. Thirty seconds after intubation, there's reports that blood pressure is dropping and blood pressure before intubation was normal. The patient has a large bar IV on the left and her trachea appears midline. What is the best course of action? Need just kidding. Uh, disconnect the vent. Keep the tube in place and allow the patient to exhale, see.
0: Good. What were some of the clues in this question that made you think that was the right answer? You
1: just like bag the patient up like crazy, breath stacked them, and now they're not able to blow off all their retained CO2 and Perfect. oxygen stuff in their way.
0: How many of us have intubated a patient? We look over and respiratory therapy is like, and I mean, right? It happens all the time. Everyone's adrenaline is pumping. And pretty soon, next thing you know, you've created so much pressure that none of the blood can get back to the heart. The intrathoracic pressure is way too high. Now you've got hypotension. So could you have caused a pneumothorax? You could have, but they're trying to give you clues. The trachea is midline, so they're trying to direct you away from that as a potential. It's still something that you need to... If C hadn't have worked, well, then you might be headed towards E, um, but the first thing to do is try to let them exhale, reduce the intrathoracic pressure, and see if their blood pressure responds. Um, you can
2: okay. Yeah. Like
0: lean on it. My, so. <laughs> I was going through these questions <laughs> with my husband last night just to make sure there was no like, you know, red herrings, and I wasn't totally crazy. Um, since i just worked an overnight shift the night before, and he said that one of his attendings, where he trained in uh, New Jersey, actually jumped on the green and laid on the patient and, like, <laughs> squished the air out of her. He's like, I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> you, can give, you can give a little pressure. <laughs> so anyways, I have never done that, but... So a few things that make us climb up on the gurney with our patient, right, hip dislocations and apparently squeezing air out of asthmatics. Okay, question seven. Who wants to try to tackle this one? Randy, can you even see from all the way over there?
2: The most widely used critical care ventilator strategy in acute asthmatic patients aims to accomplish which of the following. Uh, Patients are purposely hypoventilated, maintaining elevated PaCO2 values. Patients are purposely hyperventilated to bring their PA CO2 level back to normal. I don't think that's true. Uh, initial vent settings are different than for a patient with <clears throat> degraded airway protection due to uh, uh, ultra-metal status. Inspiratory flow rates are uh, set very low to avoid high peak airway pressures due to brow-flow constriction. Um, inspiratory flow curves could be ramp-style wave instead of a sh- Square style to maintain or maximize extra time. I was leaning initially toward one Um I think I want the rate to be slower uh, just to have the patient have more time to exhale um, to avoid narrow trunk. So I
0: was going to go with the A. Good. A is the right choice. This question, the first time I read it, I was like, oh, my God, you're just swimming in a sea of details, right? It's crazy. A is definitely the right choice. This is basically describing permissive <clears throat> hypercapnia, which we, uh, which Wes kind of alluded to when he talked about intubating his patients. It goes, It's completely against you don't want to hyperventilate them, so we're going to take B out of the equation. Um, the initial vent settings, they are different than your other subset of patients that you might be intubating because because of the unique factors of the bronchoconstriction. Um, inspiratory flow rates are set low to avoid high peak um, airway pressures. This is actually false. You can actually do a high inspiratory flow rate because you want to get the air in faster so that you can have a longer time to allow the patient to be in exhalation. And so you may get a little bit of a high peak airway pressure. Um, And that's okay, you want the plateau pressures not to be elevated. So that one caused me to pause a little bit, but um, actually false because it's not set very low. And then this inspiratory flow curve, this ramp style and square style, um, the ramp style is like, you know, where it kind of goes up and then kind of goes up and then trails down? You want to have your inspiratory flow rate go up and stay level and then stop. And then you want a long time in exhalation. So they actually use the square style wave, <coughs> which I didn't really, I had to look that one up. I wasn't quite all that familiar with it. But I think when you read the questions and you have to make a choice, A still sounds the best. So that's how you can work through some of these. Can you
1: uh, talk mm-hmm. really quick about, like, the initial vent settings that you use when intubating, or uh, after an asthmatic been intubated, ventilating them? Like, what do you use for, like, volume, mil- milligrams per kilogram, use pressure control or volume control, like
0: respiratory rate, like- I always start everyone in assist con- like AC um, assist control mode just because it's what I'm used to. And so I set the rate. Um, your asthmatics, when you intubate them, they were normally breathing like in the 40s and 50s, their rate was super high. So I start the rate, the highest I'll start is like 20 um, on the vent. And they may breathe over that, and that's okay. Um, but the biggest thing when I'm setting the asthmatics is the tidal volumes, I tend to use lower tidal volumes anyways, so I don't really ever calculate out. I'm lazy about using, uh, you know, cc's per kg or whatever. I just eyeball them, you know, if they're an adult patient, like my little tiny Vietnamese lady, I mean, she, you know, she was like 45 kilos or something, so hers we set much lower. They, I think we actually started in the 300s on her. Who, intu- some little old lady we intubated, Couple of days ago, not for asthma, but I can't remember which resident was working with me. The actual tidal volume we were using, because she was so small, was um, in the 200s. It was like 280 or something, or 275 was our tidal volume for her. Um, so I tend to use lower tidal volumes to try to reduce barotrauma. But the biggest thing to tell them is um, your IDE ratio needs to be changed in all of these, and then you see how the patient does and adjust your event settings as needed. Yeah, I don't want to, because I'm trying to watch the pressures, you want to see, you don't want to add a whole lot more pressure to what's already happening uh, with these patients, so I'd still start with a peep of five. Does anybody, McCoy, maybe you, do you have any other? depends on how they look, but uh, mm-hmm. if
4: you like numbers in regards to your uh, vent settings, if you really do the, so for the ArtsNet protocol, which is relatively strong, around six to eight, so low tidal volume. Typically they'll teach you 10, but uh, I like lower ones because I agree with study designs and all that, so around 6 to 8, you'll want to zero, um, you, you watch, like Dr. Chenwani said, that plateau pressure. So your initial uh, inspiratory, you have to go up, sharply come down and have it plateaued. You want to make sure that that's relatively low, mm-hmm. so if you do have too much peak, there's a potential for breath stacking, if you don't ingest your eye to groceries accordingly, so 1 to 1, 1 to 2, you'll start to see those pressures gradually increase until the lung pops or they die. Um, and so uh, just watch that watch that baseline and if it is you take them off and breathe them down and jump on the chest me, before you know, train The <laughs> <laughs> um, lower tidal volumes are definitely like, talking about the I.D.E. ratio to, to finish breathing off that uh, the remainder of the ear that's in their lungs because once again this is the destructive type of uh, pathology. It's going to take a longer time to kind of get it out. Um, but other than that, lower tidal volumes um, and watch your event settings and watch your JASAs. If you end up having an intubate, an asthmatic, it's not your, your decision to intubate, increase their risk of badness, it's their increased risk of badness is associated with being intubated. So don't say, oh man, I don't want to intubate this asthmatic because I don't want them to a <coughs> rough course. They're already on that rough course if you're considering intubating them. So it's not a cause of them going awry, it's an association, so it's um, called indication bias. If somebody needs a treatment, give it to them, because it's not the treatment that's going to kill them, it's whatever they had in their illness that required them to get that innovation. That's going to lead to a suboptimal outcome. Not just because you've done something. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: I had a question. You say maintaining elevated paco 2 levels. Mm -hmm. At what point do you start wanting those to trend down, and do you just um, decrease your I-to-E ratio, or do you just start hyperventilate a little bit more, or will
0: they just kind of normalize? I think you have to look at their pressures. So the big one here is the plateau pressure. Um, so they're going to have an elevated peak pressure during inspiration, but their plateau pressure is really what you're looking for, to get an idea of what's happening with their lungs. And your plateau pressure should really be less than 35 centimeters of, uh, of water. So I would allow permissive hypercapnia as long as my patient is still at risk for those elevated pressures. I would not worry about correcting it. And I think as to how long do you let them do that, I think that's really going to depend on how your patient looks um, and their response to the ventilation. You know, like I said, I these patients are hard to manage in the emergency department because I always feel like once I intubate an asthmatic, I am always in the room because the event is alarming. And you constantly have to make these little adjustments. So my answer to that question would be just, checking the patient over and over again and seeing how they look. And once they start to stabilize, their peak pressures are stabilizing, then you can start working on increasing their respiratory rate to um, bring down the CO2 back to a normal level.
3: And how much of that reevaluation has to do with serial ABGs? Sorry.
0: Um, I, I mean, that's, defi- that's where you're going to get your your information on the CO2 level to see if it's rising. So you're going to have to do serial ABGs on these patients. Am I going to do it every hour for 10 hours? Hopefully not. (laughs) But while they're in the emergency department for two hours before I send them to the MICU, am I going to check an ABG uh, serially? Yeah, you're going to have to to see where you're at.
1: And and the most important thing to actually getting back to your PCO2 level and excavating them is is making sure you give them continuous nebs through the the circuit. circuit. we oftentimes forget, we're like, oh, we need to intubate. We only intubated them because they were pooping out. Um, because they've been breathing at 30, 40 times a minute for a while. But you haven't done anything for their alveoli. Or you need to do more. I wouldn't say you have to do more. So keep, keep them them nebulized is the way to go. And then uh, a little bit of tincture of time and lots of... People. And an early uh, consultation.
2: As
4: <laughs> uh, uh, Mark says, Dr. Langdorf says, to manage <clears throat> the
0: yeah. Okay. All right, let's, in the last couple of minutes that we have here, let's um, switch off of asthma and talk about another pulmonary scenario here. So um, this is a patient I just had on my last shift, given a couple of liberties um, with his past medical history. But uh, this was a 62-year-old guy who came in um, complaining of a cough, fever, shortness of breath, and diarrhea. Um, he did have a history of tuberculosis in the remote past, um, and he had had a lobectomy, a left upper lobe, I believe, lobectomy, um, years ago. Um, and he comes into the ED. So, what are we thinking when we walk into this guy's room? What are some of the things that we're, we're contemplating? <laughs> putting a mask on. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> So, Austin, awesome, what are some of the questions you're going to want to ask this guy? I didn't give you very much as far as the past medical history. What he's, is?
1: If he's had fevers, coughing, mm. cough
0: up blood. So. He doesn't fever. He doesn't <laughs> cough, <laughs> and he c- describes his cough as rusty. <laughs> <laughs> his words, not mine. I'm not pulling it out of a textbook. Yeah, rusty. Wait, or night nope, no, nope. no night sweats. No <laughs> weight loss. I want a What's that?
2: I want a mask
0: on. <laughs> Yeah, he was treated for tuberculosis, but it was like 20 years ago. Traveled recently? He did. He just got back from China a month ago. His mom passed away, so he was in China the month before. What is mom from? I don't I, didn't
2: ask. I can't even make anything up that fast. <laughs> you might have
0: that. No, unrelated to pulmonary problems. Anybody else want to know anything else on this guy? He says rusty is all he says. His sputum is rusty. He doesn't have any weight loss. He's not having any chest pain, actually. He doesn't have any leg edema. Does he know anyone else about his diarrhea? When did the diarrhea start? Four days ago, same time as the um, cough, the fever, the of breast, and the diarrhea all started together, four days ago. Does he know anybody else with the same symptoms? He was a smoker, but quit. Years ago. you
1: have HIV or risk factors <laughs> for HIV? Uh,
0: I don't know about risk factors, but he doesn't have it currently. Does
1: anybody else have the same symptoms?
0: As no. Just him. Yeah.
2: Is he in the CD
0: room? <laughs> no, he's CPU? room? T- no. He's in CPU, too. What kind of conference was it? Was
2: inside
0: or outside? Oh, it was in like a hotel conference center. I didn't, it was business related, but I don't know what kind of business. <laughs> Yes, there was air conditioning in the hotel. <laughs> All right. Why did you ask that? What are you getting at? What are you thinking? Of? Okay. All right. I don't know what he has. It is not back yet. <laughs> yeah. All right. But this is just going through some of the things that you think of when you're looking at potential pneumonia patients. So, just to put us in that frame of mind, <clears throat> a little bit about pneumonia. So, Um, Strep pneumonia is still the most common cause of bacterial. There's all these atypicals that we cover for, right? Mycoplasma, chlamydia, legionella, and the diarrhea or whatever, the GI complaints kind of goes along with legionella. That's where I was leading you towards with that guy. I don't actually know if that's what he ended up having. but um. Anyhow, chlamydia, you'll hear um, a buzzword staccato cough with chlamydia. Um, Consider staph aureus if they're an IV drug user or if they have a a big lung abscess on their chest X-ray. Klebsiella is one of the buzzwords you'll hear when you're talking about alcoholics. Bulging fissures too. Bulging fissures in Klebsiella. And then when you're looking at hospital-acquired pneumonia, if they've been in the hospital for 72 hours, if they're on a vent, make sure that you're considering pseudomonas as part of your workup as well. Um, who here knows what the port score is? Anybody going once? Port scores? Yes, Service. thank you, Dr. Rodkin for sharing. <laughs> um, okay, so you know, we like all these ways of trying to risk stratify patients, um, and so the port score or the pneumonia severity index is is this big, long list of of Characteristics, you know, um, if you're female you get minus 10 points. If you're in a nursing home you get plus 10 points. If you're, you know, respiratory rate, blood pressure, heart rate, all these different numbers that you can plug in and it's going to, at the end it's going to spit out a number. And if the number is over 90, your patient should be admitted to the hospital because they're at significant risk. So the pneumonia severity index basically divides pneumonia patients into classes. Um, Class one and class two are pretty (coughs) minimal risk. This is risk of mortality. Um, but when you start when the numbers start getting higher, um, class three carries a two point eight percent mortality. Class four carries an eight point two percent mortality. Uh, class five a twenty nine percent mortality. So clearly all these people are going to the ICU. These two classes right here, they're pretty definitely coming into the hospital. Um, definitely class four. I would venture to say I'm pretty conservative, so my class threes would come in as well. But on your med calcs or Dina, whatever magic program you're running on your phone. It's on there, and you can calculate the score. Things that you need to know is like um, their sodium and their glucose, their hemoglobin, their vital signs, whether or not they have a pleural effusion. And all these different elements are going to give you a number. Um, Greater than 130 puts you into class 5, greater than 90 should really come into the hospital. And that's something that we don't use as much in the emergency department, but your internal medicine colleagues may throw these words around, and you can just sound really smart to them by using it. Plus, you might get questions on them, which might be why I mentioned it here. One
3: other thing that's interesting, I, remember, I
0: believe that pulse oximetry is not on the list. Hang on, I've got them all written down. Which I think is interesting. It's not on there. PaO2 is on there. PaO2 less than 60, but not pulse yeah, oximeter.
1: I don't I want want that maybe. we can use this, like Herp, Herp, five, so to five, much easier 5,
0: um, Yes, but it doesn't have to do with my questions. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Let's have somebody read this one.
2: <clears throat> uh, um, a 50-year-old man with a history of smoking complains of hemoptysis for two weeks. He reports a chronic, productive cough but denies fever. He reports, he reports the hemoptysis was initially blood-tinged sputum but now is bright red with a frothy appearance. Which of the following diagnostic tests likely lead to this patient's diagnosis? Sputum for culture and grand stain, CBC, chest radiograph, coagulation studies. Um,
1: it sounds like sounds like he had a sounds like he's like increasing bleeding in his uh,
2: upper airway. So I think a. Speedum probably wouldn't be very helpful. The CVC and COGS might not go for, I think. No, I think CBC would probably be helpful. Uh, chest
0: radiograph. No, <laughs> well done. <laughs> Hold yourself out of that one. That was very good. Right. All right. So the they all sound reasonable, right? None of these things sound unreasonable okay. to do. But when you're looking at a 50-year-old who smokes and now he's got hemoptysis and he doesn't have a fever, cancer better be crossing your list of potential problems for this guy. And in cancer patients, um, or in people with lung cancer, it says, I read studies, you know, numbers in studies are always, take it with a grain of salt, but 80% will have an abnormality on their chest X-ray, is what the study said. Um, So all of these things can be done, but the, the test that's going to help you with your diagnosis most is most likely going to be the chest radiograph. So good job with that one, Rod. I like the way you rationalized through that. OK. Sheena, have you done one yet? No. All right. You want to take this one? 22 year present cough, fever, and breath for three days. There's no past medical history. It's vital sign.
3: If reveals um reveals left crackles that do not clear on coughing, which the following is the most appropriate therapy? Doxepo,
0: linaclotide PO, lexipio, clindapio, or Zosin IV. I'm actually sweating with Dr. Burns in the room what? on this question, so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> 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 I strategically placed myself <laughs> over there. <laughs> the
0: Doxy. yeah. You got it. Very good, so, I mean, I'm terrible with antibiotics and I probably consult Dr. Burns more than the residents do, but it doesn't sound like this guy needs to come into the hospital. He's community-acquired pneumonia in a young, healthy person, so I'm gonna eliminate the only IV choice. Also, one of these doesn't look like the other one, so I'm going to eliminate that. Well, nasolid? I've never given it to anyone PO, so I'm going to take that one off as well. Keflex, I'm thinking I use it all the time for soft tissue stuff, skin stuff, community-acquired pneumonia. It's just not going to give me the coverage I need for atypicals and that kind of stuff. Um, So I think when you get down to it, um, Clinda is good for gram positives and anaerobes, but it's not going to cover your atypical community-acquired pneumonia organisms. So doxycycline would be the best choice, and it's cheap and I'm hoping Dr. Burns agrees, maybe. Yes, yeah, we're going so, so to... Mung's a bird. IDSA and Mung's
4: society guidelines. Oh, excellent. A or would be also oral agents, but they cost more than the generic, so the guidelines <laughs> go to the cheap ones. Okay. That would be doxin.
0: All right.
2: Which? What's the efficacy of the Zithro compared to it? Like a macrolide or the doxin?
0: It's not too much difference. Um, And that's, I have a couple more questions, but I am out of time. So I think I actually, for Cherise, if she's still… I think I have five questions at the end that we haven't gone through. So do you want to use those for your questions that you have to do at the end of lectures, or, yeah? Okay. (laughs) i don't to
1: say I have to find this <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you don't want to do this every week hmm? uh,
0: is it is it helpful yeah, yeah? okay uh no I don't want to do it every week but we'll try it once a month and see how it turns out <laughs> all right all right I don't know how this works you guys have to write these down on something or okay so yeah just give me a heads up when you're ready <laughs> Chilling either at my or specific. You guys ready for me to move on to the next one? a patient of Dr. Sipes here. Oh, whatever.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't able to handle the fingernail removal, so I did it to debate him before. Uh, stage. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Did um, everybody put an answer down for this one? Ready to move on? How many are you supposed to do? Three, four? Three, Three. Three. okay. So last one. I thought this might come up again.
2: <laughs> I
0: didn't make the questions, they're you know...
2: Mike
1: mm-hmm. uh, uh,
0: no. uh, <laughs> <turned> off, off, right? Uh. right? No. I'm just
1: going to turn off. heard your M&M was pathetic. Okay. <laughs>
2: I have a picture okay. text